Okay, with a filmmaking team of Democracy versus the Big Lie, the truth behind mail-in voting, Jesse Grace and Steve Weiss. Uh, Steve is in Croatia. Jesse, you're in Colorado, correct? That's correct. All right, I'm in Toronto. Let's talk about mail-in battling. So right at the beginning of the film, you kind of like set the thesis statement saying, okay, this is what this film's about. This film's about the backstory and the present story about mail-in voting and basically how it works, correct? That's correct. Uh, Yeah, we were tossed with it by the Colorado Film Commission and uh, it was quite the venture. And so when, and so you went to the, the Colorado Film Commission to do it or they came to you? Like how did the process They go? They came to us. So the National Voted Home Institute had some interest and in, kind of predicted that there'd be some controversy yeah. with the upcoming election. Sure. We really started the documentary before the chaos started. There were whispers well, of he it. He was calling it, and the president, your president was calling it in like September, I guess, that this is going to be a problem, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, and we started well before that. When did we start? I think we got tossed with it. Um, when in the summer, Steve? If I remember yeah, correctly? It, was, it was pretty early on. And uh, I, you know, the National Voter at Home Institute is a nonpartisan uh, organization, which really is is their goal is to get the word out about uh, mail-in voting and how it could be a positive influence and in getting more people involved. So they, I don't want to say they innocently approached it because as Jesse suggested, I think they knew there was going to be some controversy, but they thought it was an opportunity with the growing popularity of mail-in voting from the previous election. Uh, they saw a growth factor here and they thought this is a good time to kind of take it in, you know, take advantage of that. And yeah, because yeah. obviously because of COVID, there's going to be, and obviously because the election as well, like, this is a huge election for many reasons that there's going to be more voters and there's going to be more need for mail-in ballot voting, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they saw that coming with the primaries, with the issues that they were having there, with, you know, just people genuinely being scared to go out and vote, um, despite their urge to vote more than ever, and kind of weighing that against risking their lives, especially, you know, elderly folks. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, they approached the Colorado Office of Film, Television and Media. We've had multiple projects with them and they came to us and were like, we think you guys are the ones to do the story. And we jumped on it. So I just want to jump back to the, the organization. You said it's a nonpartisan organization. So one of the, obviously, if uh, like someone on, like, I'm not, I'm just being generic, but like someone on Fox News is going to watch your documentary. They're going to look for, the democracy, the, the democratic lies in like in like the the loops, like the holes in your in your plots, I guess, right? And think that it's like a it's like a, a liberal hit job, right? And so, but but it's not like the way you're. So as a filmmaker, how are you kind of like to say you like how are you being conscious of that and trying to find just do a journalistic kind of make a journalistic film with just telling the facts of 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 what this is. Yeah, yeah, you kind of addressed what's kept us up for nights and nights on end is how to approach this in yeah. a neutral way as possible. I mean, we're both faculty in a journalism department and have a journalistic background. So we really tried to approach it like, you know, reporters would, non-biased and go in and just ask non-leading questions, try to speak yeah. to people on both sides of the fence and address those concerns. And what prevailed is that, you know, there wasn't that evidence of voter fraud. And that may sound partisan, but we really just investigated it from a neutral standpoint. And this is the evidence that we found through hours and hours of research and interviews. 
Yeah, that's like one of the problems now, right? Because every, but there's a huge network and there's this huge organization called the Republican Party. And I'm not trying to say that who I am. I'm just saying that they're, they're spitting out information that's not truthful, I guess, right? And yeah. that's, that's dangerous as a, being a journalist yourself, both of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was one of the main quotes in the documentary. One of the ones we found the most impactful is, um, you know, people didn't expect to have to fact check the White House at the time, which was a little scary. Yeah. And we were just battled with ways to present, you know, give light to people's concerns and the fraud that was being called out theoretically and would say hey these you know valid concerns that people have but there's no evidence so yeah it was definitely a challenge there steve do you have uh, any additional <laughs> thoughts there yeah you know i was a television reporter for a number of years and i always thought the best stories told were those where you really told both sides of the story and let the audience decide and it also it shows more conflict if you seek out the other side so what we consciously did in this case is we did make an attempt to say okay if we're going to follow this topic, in addition to the nonpartisan view of it, let's also go to some regions where there may be some controversy, which is why we specifically chose Houston, which is a, an area, kind of a liberal area, Houston within a red state. Mm -hmm. uh, the other area that I went to, Jesse covered that uh, part in Houston. I went to Prescott, Arizona uh, to, you know, again, which was a highly uh, stronghold in terms of Republican area, and they had voted, it, it was a very interesting area to look at because they had both voted uh, like 80% plus, and so they had great voter turnout. Yeah. They'd been doing mail-in voting for a long time, but they were a heavy Republican area. So that was the other place that we keyed on during election night to follow how the story developed there. So at the very least, we went into it with the idea of, let's see how this goes, but let's not just stay within our comfort zone. Let's get outside of it yeah. and go to areas that that would be interesting to us. So that was, we did make an official, you know, attempt in that respect to try to find, to represent different parts of the country that the story was in, was developing in. Yeah, and here's an example from Houston. So we, you know, we're following the clerk's office who were, you know, doing all the election and the ballot counting and running the mail-in ballot system and the earliest person ballot system. And, you know, said, hey, show us your process. What are you doing here? And then I actually personally went to one of the Republican rallies and went and interviewed all the politicians that were willing there and said, hey, what are your concerns with the system? You know, this is what we've witnessed. What do you, what's, why are you guys upset about this? And some of them were like, we're not, this is totally okay. Yeah. Here are some of our concerns, you know, Texas is not ready for this. And some people were blatantly upset with it. And then we went back to the county clerk's office and we're like, hey, here's people's concerns. What is your answer to this? So really tried to go to both sides and you're like, okay, what are the concerns? How is this being counteracted? And actively went out to represent both sides as much as we could. Well, well Jesse, Oh, I was going to say, while Jesse was doing that, I was in Prescott, Arizona, working with a Republican uh, county official mm -hmm. who was part of the National Voter at Home Institute's advisory boards, which is part of their nonpartisan, is that they have people from, from both sides who, who they work with as, as advisors. So we, we did try to do that, you know, deal with that as much as we could. Yeah, it's, it, I guess like the, the other side, I guess that the issue was is that mail-in ballots would make more people have more let more people vote because it's easier access instead of waiting in lines and then they, it sets up a certain group who works a lot or a certain uh, minority group certain cultures that would vote like basically so i guess it, it angered a certain party that wouldn't benefit from mail-in ballot voting i guess right so that's their 
that was their that was their anger towards it. So they were trying to poke holes into the system because they didn't want these people to vote because then that would affect their the people who are elected. I guess is it that fair to lot, say? It gained a lot of momentum when the president of the United States started saying in early May, "We yeah. don't want to see mail-in voting. Okay. We don't want to see that." And he repeated it almost on a yeah. weekly basis. So that really ramped things up. Yeah, so you said I thought I thought September, but yeah, maybe early, maybe he was already ahead of the game because he saw it coming, right? So with the COVID and everything like that. So that's it, that's the that's the real elephant in the room, right? That's they don't like it because it because they because it gets more people to vote and they don't want people to vote because they don't want a true democracy. Not the that's my words, not yours, but basically that's that's what I'm that's my feeling of it. Yeah, we definitely interviewed some people with those exact concerns. I remember a specific one with, um, I, I can't remember what he was running for, but he was a, a Democratic candidate in uh, Houston. And he was like, notoriously, you know, people who you are denying access, but who live in these areas who can't get to one ballot box in yeah. Houston, vote Democrat. Historically, all those people are not going to vote against yeah. the Republican Party. So their argument was, hey, by giving only one ballot box, you're disenfranchising the people who would vote Democratic specifically, yeah. whereas the people who typically vote Republican have access to that ballot box. That was definitely an argument we heard a lot. Well, you saw it. You saw the election itself, right? Because you saw Pennsylvania. Trump was like winning by a landslide in Pennsylvania on the first night. Everybody started getting worried, or I guess at least certain people were getting worried. And then he saw it in Michigan as well. And it's like, oh my God, is he going to win the election again? But then the mail in ballots weren't being voted, counted until the next day. And then all of a sudden they, they got counted and then he then then Biden kind of swooped in and won the election, right? So yeah, everybody was predicting this though. This wasn't a surprise in terms of But I think it was no, to be fair, I think it was a surprise to people who weren't in the know, right? It's just the average person. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's to the news every day. Right. Absolutely. And that's why we wanted to, you know, really cover this topic is, you know, I mean, there wasn't a prediction of, you know, we weren't certain that Biden was going to win, but they were certain that Democratic votes were going to come in in more mass when the mail-in votes came in, which are later because the president for months had said, you know, to his party, the people who support him don't vote by mail. So it's just, you know, it seems logical. So we really hope that we shed light on that in the documentary. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that people who didn't watch the news every day could get this, you know, hour long recap of this is the chaos that was going on for the year and a half. And one of the uh, before I want to talk about the the, the storytelling of it, but we have one last point. So one of the dangers of your film, because it's a great film. I love watching this film uh, from you. beginning to end. I thought it was a solid solid hour hour documentary it didn't bore me and that was another thing too we'll get to it in a bit is that this can get bogged down with like info and technology and blah 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 but you really made it entertaining but one of the issues is that is that you don't want it, you want it to get to people that to everybody you don't want to preach to the choir right you don't want to preach to people who already know that 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 the meal and battling is is a good thing and it, it serves the, it serves democracy you you wanted to get to people who are like skeptical about it, right? So I think that's the trick is that how do you get those people to watch your film, I guess, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the, the biggest concern that we had. We even saw it in your the audience feedback from the political film festival is, yeah. you know, we really hope this gets to people who were skeptical about the process and thought that there was foul play happening. So, I mean... 
we're going to do our best to get it out there. I mean, we're in the early phases. We're going to have our first round of distribution now, and we're going to keep pushing to get it in front of more and more places. But I mean, there's only so much we can do. People are going to get into their filter bubbles and choose to watch the content that supports their beliefs. And we really hope that they'll give the documentary a chance and look at the evidence that we found in an unbiased way. But you know, we know this is the problem with politics is people look for things that support their beliefs. And that's the good thing about streaming services, though, right? It's like, I know it seems nonpartisan in, in its content, meaning that they'll people will want to consume information, right? So hopefully, you'll get a good distributor in uh, after the festival run and people will watch this before November, hopefully, too, right? Fingers crossed. That's what we're Fingers hoping crossed. for. But I, it's so great that they did this. So, okay, so tell, take me back because I know that you were talking in the blog interview that things were changing as you were making the film, like all this new information came. So you're almost like catching up with the news, I guess. Right. But did you guys have like a, did you guys write like a set script at the beginning and kind of like do the origin story and kind of like, okay, this is where we're going to go. This is where we're like, or did you guys like do a combination of both where you had a script, talk about the origin stories, but then kind of things changed and you kind of went cinema verte during the film. I'm just curious your process. Yeah, so we definitely didn't write a script beforehand. We came up with a list of states and cities that were, you know, expected to have controversial topics or had good, you know, characters that would be able to tell the story from a unique perspective. So we reached out to um, various political organizations. Obviously, the National Voter Home Institute had some options, but then we reached out to political researchers and said, hey, where in the country do you think are going to have some interesting stories? Do you know of any politicians, big or small, that have an interesting perspective at this? And so we approached it from that, and that's what we kind of came down to, you know, Houston and um, Phoenix at first, and obviously Colorado, our home based here, which is known for the massive mail-in voting operation. And then um, we traveled to a few other places after that. So we really approached it from, where is this going to be interesting? And then after that, it was just a a crazy chase of where is the story going every morning we woke up and something new was happening. So I'd say, um, I'm trying to remember the month that we wrote the script, but we wrote the script um, kind of in the middle of our editing process. We picked out all the interesting sound bites, tried to make sense of it, guided in like a narration to connect them all, and then probably had four or five rounds of edits as news came in editing that script to make sure it was still current and made sense. And when did uh, uh, Alec Baldwin come, come aboard to the film? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to remember the months that that happened. So we kind of were making finalizations to the script the day before he recorded. Uh, Steve, do you remember the exact month? I know it was around the uh, nonpartisan voting commission. Yeah, I think it was it was after the election. And as Jesse said, we had initially gathered a lot of material and information. We're coming together with the script. And I think we can be honest enough to say, too, that our first version of it, this is really the most difficult topic I think either one of us had ever covered in terms of trying to find a way to present it fairly. And our first version may have leaned a little bit too much balance in some ways. And some of the feedback we got initially, uh, unofficially from people who looked at it was like, well, you've done a great job of balancing this. However, you're, you're really almost... Tell, you're almost telling lies by you're giving too much credence to the people who were saying outlandish things. And in our mind, as we watched the version of it, we thought, yes, but it's being answered. But we begin to understand that, yeah, 
this is such a difficult topic that if you if you do cite somebody saying the wrong thing yeah. time and time again, perhaps it does get lost a little bit on the audience. So we started to shift. But to answer the question about oh, like what happened was was the film commissioner of Colorado uh, had some connection from his previous work as a producer and knew uh, one of Alex's uh, former uh, agents. And they basically put it in front of him and said, would you be willing to do this? And so word came back to us indirectly that, yes, he would be willing to do that. Uh, and at that point, some of the consultants we had with the film, with the film commission and outside the film commission, one of the other executive producers said, this suddenly now carries a little more weight. Honestly, this was first designed kind of for a PBS style, I mean, originally Colorado PBS, which we have a, a relationship with the, both of the PBS organizations in the Denver area. Yeah. That was our target. But when they said Alex involved, they said, wait a second, now this has a higher national appeal. Perhaps we should go back, take a look at this and revise some of the script and the approach that you're going with it, because we think Alec will be more uh, comfortable with that approach. So that's kind of how he came on board. That's so interesting. It's just like in like that. Just him, his name just kind of changes the game. The game of the film, I guess, right? It, it really did. It truly did. It, it it amped up the opportunity to make it a larger story in many ways. Now, this was obviously before Alex's uh, situation with the sure. film that took place later in our process, which didn't affect it. And I, I will say too, I want to say that uh, working with him was truly a good experience. Oh, well, I should say great experience. It wasn't good. It was great. He was a tremendous gentleman, very easy to work with. Uh, frankly, when it was developing, he ended up calling me because uh, he had my number, just said, tell me about the film. And honestly, when I got the call, I wasn't even sure it was him. I'm thinking, really, is this really Alec Baldwin? It was <laughs> yeah really Alec Baldwin. And he said, Hey, tell me a little bit more about it. Uh, he said, when can we schedule it? And we said, basically, anytime you can schedule the narration. And, yeah. and he said, how about a week from now? He was a pleasure to work with Jesse and I sat in during the session. Uh, he had a couple of questions, but basically was a real trooper and pushed his way through it. And uh, it was, it was a good experience to see. And he was a delight to work with. Yeah, yeah. genuinely. I think it was, it was in September of last year, approximately is when yeah. he cut the narration. So it was great. Now you have to be on his podcast now. His Here's the Thing podcast, right? Like, <laughs> text <him>. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a great next step. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's unfortunate the thing that happened to, to, to happen to him as well. I hope it doesn't affect your film and the way it gets distributed with his kind of like what happened to him on, on set either. That's an unfortunate situation. But you don't yeah. think it will? Uh, we're hoping not. I mean, when it initially happened, I still remember we were at the uh, National Nonpartisan Convention on Voting Rights here in Denver. And, you know, I got a text from a coworker and said, did you read the news on what happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? And so when we saw that happen, we we're like, oh, no, because there wasn't much information at first. It was just like, oh, no, there's a shooting on set. Somebody died. Who's holding a gun? What happened? Uh, but then, you know, we kind of waited and laid low for a little bit and just kind of continued producing um, and getting interviews and things like that. But it seems like the film industry has really rallied behind them. And, you know, most people who've worked on sets have said, you know, this wasn't his job. This wasn't his fault. This was not intentional. This, you know, shouldn't reflect badly on him. So we really were, um, you know, keeping an eye on the news and we're really happy to see that a ton of people in the film industry were really supporting him. So we're, we're hoping it doesn't, it, especially now it's, it's, the dust has settled a little bit and uh, it, it seems like it's going to be a more positive yeah, it, thing, he, anything. He's got, I guess the, the thing is that he's got, 
he gets a t- he's going to get attacked because of his political ideology, I guess, right? That's the if he didn't have that political ideology, I'm pretty much convinced that this story would be like he didn't mean to do anything, like he just, you know what I mean, he was doing his job. Yeah. But of course, now it becomes a bigger thing because of his ideology, I guess, right? But yeah, and and we're not certainly taking sides in that particular instance because we sure. don't really know the details yeah. behind it. But to answer your question, nobody has directly told us that it is holding the film back, for yeah. example, or that somebody doesn't feel. And I guess from Jesse and my perspective, we're hoping the story is bigger than that. We think he he's added uh, some interest to it. He obviously did a great job narrating it too. So that by itself, regardless of anything else, but we'd like to think that the story is big enough that even if somebody had some apprehension about that, they'd still be willing to say, well, I, and, and for my, my part, when I listen to it now, we're so used to hearing it, I kind of get lost in the fact that he's narrating it once yeah. it starts you know, it really the story picks up on its own. So, but we, we hope that won't uh, hold it back in any way because we think the story is more important than well, our involvement be, in it or frankly, his involvement in it. Yeah. Well, let's be fair that he's a very good narrator. Like he's, yes. the, that's why he gets paid professionally, not yes. just as an actor, but as a narrator. Yes. He's, he's got that that voice and that like sucky, mm-hmm. sucks you in with the, with the emotion, I guess, right? So, and I, I love the, the origin story. It's like, there's things, there's so much that I didn't even know, like, about like how it starts it was i think it's good information for everybody about like how this just didn't magically appear in 2020 right this has been going on for a long time right so absolutely i mean i think that was a you know thing that we learned a lot along the way is the big question was well why now why now has this become such a big issue and also shedding light on the fact that this has been here for a very, very, very long time in Colorado or states like Oregon. Everybody knows mail-in voting's been here for a long time. But if you don't live in one of those states where it's not commonplace, you really wouldn't know that it's been around for yeah. quite a while. Yeah, exactly. We really didn't suspect it was going to be the controversy when we were talking earlier about the fact that we knew it was going to be an issue. We had no idea the level it was going to. Well, there's, there's only one man who's the reason why. I guess you know who he is, right? <laughs> well, and, and and that and it's continued to have legs really until this day. I mean, it's just been shocking to us. And, and as Jesse suggested earlier, we'd wake up almost every other day and I'd send an email and say, hey, did you see this latest headline? It would just be it was the story that kept on giving just time is. and time again. It still is. It still is. And which was very difficult for us to know where to finish it at. We were somewhere between wanting to get the film out while it was still a topical idea to realizing the fact that it was continuing to be a topical idea. And if we closed it off too early, you'd be missing part of the story. And it, we just had to get to the point. Eventually, we said, OK, we have to have at least some end point for the moment so we can get it out. Otherwise we'll be tracking this for another year and a half and really into the next election. So the goal was to get it out at least before the primaries would take place. Of, Which of the, the primaries, election. people were campaigning against the mill, like saying that the election was stolen. People were getting elected in the primary. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. A movie that you said is a lie, basically, you know what I mean? That's the crazy time that we live in, right? So, yeah. Absolutely. It was a, a never ending story. I think we weren't even uh, 
you know, waking up and seeing news. We were working shifts. I probably didn't sleep in the middle of the night and <laughs> would work on the documentary and hand it over to him at some time in the morning. I'd be like, hey, did you see this that happened while you were sleeping that I noticed come in the news? And then you would wake up and be like, okay, here's some, uh, I'd go to sleep. And then he'd be like, oh, look what else broke in the news this morning. We're like, oh no. Like, isn't there a, a, person, a person who lost by like 70 points in Georgia that she's saying that the election was stolen because of mail-in balloting? That's happening, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it defies common sense in a lot of ways when you sit back and whether, no matter what side you're on, uh, if you trust it or not trust it. And I understand the fact that some people say, you know, there are some issues with it. And I think that's acknowledged by people who are in favor of it. But the issues are so small, so minute, statistically so insignificant that it, it just doesn't give credence to the idea that we should throw out the system or ignore it or not not use it as part of our as, of our, as our system I mean it's a it's a great addition to our system as Jesse suggested it's been working for years literally without any opposition in states like Colorado uh, where we we just have assumed it for so many years that we it hasn't been controversy at all in, in my recognition of it I've never heard anybody say it's a bad system. Uh, and all of a sudden this year, this election year, this past election year, it became uh, criticized as a bad system or a bad part of the system. And that's the issue right there. What you just said is the issue is because it's like, because that that's the information that people don't know. People don't know that it's been around. Colorado is the is the is kind of like the, the state that kind of proves it. That people don't know that information. It's like what it's like. I, I'm not. This is like a loaded question, but because you're both journalists, is that? But shouldn't the media like be teaching or pe teaching the audience or teaching like CNN or I know Fox isn't going to do it, but like shouldn't they they give this information out so people know this information instead of like being your documentary is amazing. It's like it's but it's also loaded with information that people don't know about, right? But shouldn't this already be information that people know? Yeah, and I think this sh people need to rely more on, you know, their local news outlets. And I think they're, uh, I mean, as journalism professors here, obviously we yeah. think there needs to be more media literacy and people just don't understand the difference between a CNN, a Fox and an NBC and their local news station and understand that, okay, there are stations that are inherently left-leaning or right-leaning, whereas your local news station is inherently supposed to be unbiased and supposed yeah. to represent that. So no matter what side you stand on, whether you hate CNN or you hate Fox, you hate MSNBC, all of you should be able to turn to your local news station. And then, you know, we've seen decreased no, but funding. It also, it across also the comes board. down to affiliates, right? You have the yeah. NBC affiliate, they think that's a liberal affiliate. It's already yeah. the notion, I guess, right? And then, you know, they have a Fox affiliate and it's, yeah. it's so frustrating. We see like, you know, freshman journalism students who don't understand the difference between a Fox affiliate who, you know, is inherently the reporters are taught not to be biased and the difference between, you know, Fox network. Yeah. So, and I mean, obviously bias trickles down everywhere, but yeah, it does. Yeah. Let's be uh, fair. Cause it's on CNN too. Right. So yeah. Absolutely. 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 On all of them. Yeah. It, and, and again, it's something that we deal with on a daily basis, as Jesse mentioned. I mean, media literacy is one of the repercussions of the last 10 to 15 years of what's happened in the media with these uh, networks that have spread out and, and presented different sides of the story is that it's one of the most difficult things we do is how do we help our students who want to be journalists negotiate those waters and not just journalists, but just citizens. How do we, I mean, we now teach classes in media literacy. It's become a big buzzword, not just our school across the country. Media literacy has become 
a huge emphasis in curriculum. How do we help people understand how they research and not just rely on, on things that they already think they know or they want to be reinfirmed with? How do we make them take a step further and research it? Where did this come from sort of thing? It's a difficult thing because media has never been easier to consume in history than it is right now. Yeah. But there's a huge danger that's come along with that in the sense that people don't go to a second source or don't question the source. Uh, they just see it and immediately accept it. it even if it's a headline, you're, you're well, you get it because we get it on our social. Most people get it on our social media. So our Facebook, our Twitter is already aligned to our ideology. Right. So we, we've seen that in classes we teach. When we ask students, where do you get your news? And I've been around longer, obviously, than Jesse has. But students used to say from local news. Now, none of our students watch local news. For the most part, they all get their information from Twitter or Facebook. And so that's not a news organization posting that in many cases. That's somebody posting it. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge Well, even newspapers, course. too, right? Like local yeah. newspapers, like you're saying local news. Everybody had their 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 city, like their like whatever city, their town, their town newspaper that they would consume and read about, right? And now that doesn't happen anymore either, right? So. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a little nerve wracking to see how, you know, the ways people get their news actually makes them more polarized because we just have more access to just affirm our own beliefs and we yeah. only get shown based on algorithms what we believe in, but. Yeah, it's a it's <laughs> it's a it's a big question. I wish we had the answers to it. No, no, it's just that that's that that's the go back to what I was saying about like making sure trying to get the audience like the right audience to watch this because all you I think I believe that you're all you're doing is just trying to give the information out to and and, and, and like I said, it's in a very entertaining way too, right? Like it's like got nice graphics. I know it, it counts, right? Like and you have good snippets. Like one last question I, before I leave, I'm just curious about. Where do you, where did you like, did you ever research people like finding all the kind of CNN news stories? Like, where did you, I'm assuming you had kind of like a, a plot point or a kind of situation that you wanted to come across and you wanted a new story to kind of like match what your, uh, what your kind of story was about. Where did you find, like, how, like, how long did it take you to find all those clips? I'm sure it took a long, like thousands of hours. Oh, I, was, I was pointing at Jesse just to say that we were our research team. Oh, really? I mean, okay. Really, well, yeah. We really did uh, rely on ourselves to follow the story. And that's kind of the wow. way that we produce in, in general anyway, is that we generally shoot, edit, make all those editorial decisions. We did have some help with graphics from a fellow faculty member. Jesse did some of the graphics as well. But in terms of content, uh, we have to we have to take responsibility for this for good or bad because we made all those editorial decisions. We didn't have any outside influences in terms of somebody saying you should change this, whether it be from the film commission or anybody else. At the end of the day, we had to feel secure with it. But there's a, a challenge with that is that we're in our little world, of course, so we're trying yeah. to be fair to ourselves. But we really did. Uh, and Jesse can speak to that as well. Yeah, I mean, there were nights where we're like, okay, we're going to try to get like through this part of the edit. And then the night or day, depending on which one of us was working, was spent just, you know, on Google researching anything about this topic. So, you know, on both sides, it's like, okay, controversy around mail-in voting or like mail-in voting, um, you know, fraud evidence versus, you know, proof forward and just Googling search terms and running through news and going through like different sources from around the country and being like, okay. So if this is not the first controversy, where was it? Let's go on a hunt and see if there was other controversy, where it was in the country, who published it, and just hours and hours and hours finding the news sources and then 
and being like, okay, is this a credible organization if we hadn't heard of it? Is this a local news channel? Where is this from? And then, you know, pulling the videos. It also helped on a personal level, frankly, for me, having lived in this country my whole life that I assumed it. Jesse has lived here for quite a while, but being South African, when she would occasionally say, why are you Americans doing this thing this way? (laughs) And and I'd have to say, well, that's a good question. It doesn't always make sense. But having that outside perspective was actually helpful in this case, because I've been familiar with it my entire life where Jesse sees it with some fresher eyes, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. And what is uh, kind of comical about that as well is like, sometimes I'm like, okay, should I know this? Should I have known this from before? And then I'll ask friends and be like, hey, did you know this? And they're like, no, I had no idea that it's been done for that long. So sometimes it was like, okay, maybe some of these things an average American would know, but I would say, you know, most of the time, since I spent so much time researching it, um, that, we found that a lot of Americans did. So I guess uh, well, it was a very good the late balance. night shows, right? Like Samantha B and Trevor Noah, Samantha B, Canadian, Trevor Noah, South African, like they have that perspective, right? Like they're not, or even John Oliver, right? They, mm-hmm. they have that, they have that outside perspective of like, what, yeah, what is going on in this country? What are you guys doing? Cause you're so powerful and so like influential, like you, like you figured that you guys would be the, the smartest too. Right. So yeah. Well, credit to Steve because he stored an incredible amount of information in his brain because he's like, oh yeah, I remember this when this happened like 30 years ago and I was a reporter at the station and they're covering this. I'm like, okay, great. I'll ask the questions and Steve has the answers and then we'll go through and research the rest and the, the history behind it. So uh, yeah, that's so, yeah. So like, so Steve, how long have you, like, I, I don't want you to age yourself, but I guess it's been decades that you've used <laughs> the podcast. Seen, well, there's no video, right? the point I'm trying to make is that you've seen a lot of change. Right, right. No, no, I started, yeah. I, and I was a television reporter for about 15 years before I, I started doing corporate work and then started teaching. So I did have that basis of, of covering multiple elections and, and being around a long time ago. So it goes, it dates clear back into the 1980s, uh, more or less. So I, yeah, yeah. So I had some perspective of that. And I met politicians, interviewed lots of politicians along the way. I actually was uh, Ronald Reagan uh, was one of my early stories when he visited Pocatello, Idaho, where I was working at the time. And I was thrilled to be able to cover a president who was coming in for a quick visit. So anyway, I've had that kind of political background along the way. Not that I that wasn't my specialty, but certainly have been aware of it. But this was all new ground for me. And, and like it is for all of us, this is all brand new stuff going on as our elections are developing, as our democracy is developing and changing and in some ways being threatened that this is new turf for all of us regardless of what we've seen in the past these are new these are new areas that we're that we're moving into uh, and we're not sure what's going to happen in the next election that's an open-ended question and what impact the last election will have on the next election the, the you know the, the elections coming up this november is going to give us another big clue yep. but there's uh, this is a continuing story without a doubt oh, 100% like he's going to run again and he is not going to want to lose and he will do whatever it takes to win and he'll say whatever it takes as you said in the quote in the beginning right the paraphrase that he just he'll just say lies until people convince are convinced that's the truth right so yeah, well, so and just the way. fact that mail-in voting will continue to be challenged from yeah, our perspective. Well, they're, they're already passing laws, right? That, right? Yeah. So important story. It really is. I hope it gets you guys get the best distribution deal you can get. And I love like how it kind of just evolved into what it is now. I think that I think it's a special film and I'm, I'm thank you for your time and I wish you guys the best of luck with it. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us another platform to get these important topics out there. We really appreciate you. So thank you. And we appreciate the film festival. It's been a great experience for us. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you.
three, four, five. 